Welcome back to Savvy Citizen. I'm Elizabeth McGee, and today I'm talking with some folks from the Shield Museum um, of Natural History in the Planetarium. We're going to talk a little bit about NASA's new Webb Space Telescope, uh, talk about how these folks got involved in astronomy, and how you can learn more about the night sky. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Savvy Citizen. Today, I am joined by Jacob Marcus and Ryan Monroe, who are both planetarium interns, and also Aubrey Spicola, who's a planetarium program presenter. Um, thanks for coming out here and talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so let's start off a little bit. Um, we brought you guys here today, first of all, because we've got some new images from NASA's Webb Telescope. Um, so this is just like a good opportunity to introduce everyone to the planetarium. <laughs> so maybe let's start off with, tell us a little bit about what the planetarium is. Like, why do I want to go there? Yeah, so, uh, you know, at the planetarium, we show a lot of shows, both pre-recorded and also live ones that we do to kind of just try and introduce people to astronomy and the stars and constellations and planets and just really get people curious and excited about these really cool things that we see in the night sky and um, especially for younger kids to really start getting them interested in science and uh, all of these really cool things that you can kind of start to learn and explore and hopefully get, you know, a new generation of astronomers and scientists to really start looking up at the sky and being curious and wondering what's up there. Yeah, absolutely. A, a big part of the planetarium is encouraging that curiosity and making astronomy more accessible to kids. Um, it's often a topic that seems daunting to people, but it, it's not. It's really accessible, and you can look up at, at the night sky from your backyard and find all the constellations without being an astronomer and see some planets, too. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, we've got some like uh, Native American myths that we talk about and different stories of the night sky. So we can try to make it a whole kind of like a storytelling experience for, uh, for kids. So they, so they seem to really enjoy it like that. That's awesome. So... A fun fact about me, I actually took an uh, astronomy class in college, but I went into it definitely thinking that I was going to like learn about my horoscope or something. <laughs> <laughs> I realized quickly that it's way more math than uh, like woo-woo. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so maybe what if you had to explain to someone like what is astrology and why is it important, what would you say? Astrology or astronomy? Astrology. Let's make a distinction astrology. here. Yeah. What's different about astronomy yeah. from astrology? <laughs> so uh, the main difference between astronomy and astrology is that astronomy is the science of the things we see in the night sky. So when we talk about astronomy and astrophysics, we're really talking about looking up to the stars, the planets, supernovae, nebulae, galaxies, all of these really cool things that we see in the night sky and trying to understand what they are and how they work and using that understanding to maybe understand a little bit more about how we came into existence, how our planet happened, how the universe formed, things like that. Astrology, on the other hand, looks more towards things like the zodiac and seeing if or how there is a connection between that and the personalities of people. Um, it's more like cultural stuff, exactly. right? Exactly. Yep. Um, without getting into it too much because I get very heated about this topic <laughs> sometimes. Uh, astronomy really is science. It is scientific research that looks into how the world works, whereas astrology is much more cultural folklore and, and a lot more of just like people c coming up with stories and, and things to look at to kind of uh, guide their lives in a way. Okay, cool. So we're more on the science side of things yeah, in this conversation. Yes. <laughs> if you were... Although, yeah, a, a lot of uh, like astrologers were like the first 
astronomers yes. because they because they were so engaged with understanding the different meanings that they thought were hidden in the night sky. So a lot of them actually evolved astronomy we get from as, uh, astrology, a lot of astrology uh, astrologers back then. So. If you were looking at things like in 1600, maybe in Italy with Galileo, or pre-Galileo, really. Um, Before the scientific revolution. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're going to see like a lot of ties between astrology and astronomy and the architecture and how people were thinking at the time. Um, what rulers based their rule on was uh, often based on astrology. So um, a lot of that ties into how government, like, early government in the 1600s was working in Europe. Yeah. Or like farming or navigation Religion, purposes. Yeah. yeah, but nowadays, now that we have kind of a better understanding of science and the scientific theories and uh, how to form a hypothesis and how to really study stuff, there's been a much larger divergence between astrology and astronomy where they really have kind of split paths and are now kind of two very separate disciplines. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if I go to the Shield and I see one of the shows at the planetarium, um, I'm going to... Are we going to see actual stars? What are we going to see? It depends on the show you come and see. Um, you know, some of the shows we, we get from a, a big database of planetariums across the country that have created shows for everyone to use. So, you know, some of the shows we have, we get from there. Um, one of the shows we have going on right now is called Earth, Moon, and Sun, where we talk about, you know, the, the moon and the sun and how they move across the night sky and how our understanding of how they move has changed over time. Um, but every day we do also have our show that we call The Sky Tonight, um, which is our live program. So one of us in the planetarium, either me or Ryan or Aubrey or someone else in the planetarium, um, will, you know, operate the dome and we'll show constellations and stars and we'll fly all over space and just kind of talk about some of the really cool stuff again to just really get that engagement up and get excited about astronomy because we're all complete nerds about it okay. we just want to convince everyone else to be well speaking of being complete nerds about astronomy let's talk about the web images because i was just looking at them a little bit ago and if you haven't seen them at yet i definitely encourage anyone listening to just give it a quick google because they are cool, yes. <laughs> cool. Yes. so why are they important so a lot of um what james webb is doing is we're we're developing how far back we can see um by using this incredible infrared telescope. So, uh, you know, Hubble was able to see 13.2 billion years in the past because of how light travels. Light travels as a, at a constant speed. Um, so the farther back we look, um, we're seeing more light years in the past. So if we can see 13.6 billion light years in the past, we're seeing 400 million light years, er, 400 million years farther back in the past than we are with Hubble. So it's it's basically really like the, the best time machine we have right now. Yes. <laughs> so that's what I like to tell a lot of kids. Like, oh, you want to go to the time machine? You can see back in time all these years. Yeah. It's pretty wild. <laughs> we're, we're much closer to truly understanding what the beginning of our universe could have looked like after the Big Bang. Um, and... You know, the Big Bang is, is a theory. It's a very well-backed theory. But with these images, we might be able to, to prove more parts of the Big Bang. And there's also, you know, the James Webb Telescope uses largely infrared instruments, especially those in the near and mid-infrared spectrums, which are just wavelengths of light that are really, really difficult to see. And in fact, we can't see them with the human eye. 
And we had that's what infrared means, right? Like exactly. below red. Exactly. It's the it's colors that bees see. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the color of that heat glows, essentially. So if you've ever seen like a heat monitor or like a heat light source, that's infrared light. And we can't see it with our human eyes, but we've developed technology to be able to see it. And James Webb is by far the most advanced infrared telescope we've ever created. And so if you go online, when you look at the images from James Webb, a lot of them will be compared to Hubble images or Spitzer images or images from other telescopes we've had to just show how much clearer and better the James Webb telescope is able to see these same objects, which allows us to do so much more science with things we already knew existed but hadn't really been able to study in great detail. Now with this new telescope, we're able to study these things in so much more detail and really learn about the universe. And it's just kind of this next stepping stone in being able to understand, as Aubrey and Ryan said, the beginning of our universe, but also kind of the things we can see in it right now. It's like getting a new prescription, like a, a whole new prescription. Or if you've never had glasses before, it's like getting glasses. <laughs> like wow. it, it's pretty awesome. That's really cool. So when I was looking at one of the images, it's like a super deep field image. It's kind of the one that's like plastered all over all the websites yeah. right yeah, now. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's, did I read that it's, you're seeing basically one billion years since the Big Bang? Yeah, so um, the way the deep field image was taken was they focused the James Webb Telescope at this cluster of galaxies. This cluster of galaxies has such strong gravity that it's actually able to bend light around the cluster. I noticed that because you can see that there's like a halo effect kind yeah. of around it. Like it yeah, looks exactly. like it looks like it's a lens, like a fisheye lens, but that's not actually the lens. That's actually gravity. It's it's gravity acting like a lens. It's literally called gravitational lensing. Um, so you're like exactly right on point. Um, so if you see like those smudges around that kind of halo shape, those are galaxies we're seeing 13.6 billion light years away or as they were 13.6 billion years ago that's um, crazy and given that our current estimate to the age of the universe is about 14.2 to 14.6 billion years we're looking at galaxies as they would have been less than a billion years after the universe formed so again as aubrey and ryan said earlier we're really in that image seeing the beginning of the universe we're seeing what the universe looked like before Earth even existed before our sun existed, billions of years before we ever came onto this planet, which is just like totally boggles the mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and even yeah. though, um, like, like it's thirteen point six, so th before we had the Hubble, which was thirteen point four billion years back, um, but this just getting that extra point point two billion um, just takes us to all these new stars that, um, and we're seeing a lot of new stars in the images too. But like we can see like way further back in time than any other telescope we've had before. So. Yeah, and just like a little fun fact, if you're looking at that image and you don't know exactly what you're looking at, anything in a James Webb image that has like that six, you know, those six lines that you can see in the images. Oh yeah, it looks like a sunburst. Yeah, exactly. Anything that has that kind of symbol on it um, is a star in our own galaxy. Anything else you see in those images, any smudge, any dot, any pinprick of light you see is a galaxy billions and billions of light years away. And the redder that galaxy looks in the image, the further away it is. So if you're looking at like that deep field image and you see all of those hundreds of thousands of little specks of light, every single one of those is a galaxy that we're looking at from the dawn of the universe. Yeah, I had a very like a, uh, whoa, the universe moment when I was looking at that image because like it's okay. That little square is such a small, small piece yeah. of the night sky. 
we're talking we're talking if you held a grain of sand out at arm's length and whatever area of sky you're covering with that grain of sand that's what's behind it is the shield gonna be able to do anything with the web images yeah so um <laughs> I, I can take it yeah, so so it. i've been doing a uh, daily discovery um for the uh, last weekend about the new images that came out and so we're out there you know from the planetarium talking about the images showing them um we've got you actually printed a, Aubrey printed a small 3D printed model of the James Webb. So we're able oh to show gosh. it yeah. at a small scale um, using our printer. Um, and we're kind of able to talk about the engineering about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a mechanical engineering major, so I like to get into that. But um, we're talking about the engineering. We're talking about like the pictures, um, all the things you can see in the pictures. So we got, uh, that's, that's like a daily discovery. We do a lot of those at the Shield. We do daily discoveries on planets or um, different space news, uh, keeping people up to date. This has an extra bonus to like the planetarium shows, spread awareness. Uh, I mean, the the day the images dropped, we had a full event. We were one of um, just a couple places across the country that were very, very lucky to be um, allowed to live stream NASA's stream of showing the images like officially as a as an official nasa sponsored event cool. um so we were able to live stream they're dropping the images and we did an entire whole day event where we just put the images up on a screen and they let us just nerd out about the images to everyone walking through the museum it was a, a lot of fun um and now that we've got the images as ryan said we do what we call daily discoveries where we talk about the images and and again just get people really invested in them we started adding them to the shows that we do you know our live shows um, as soon as we get them in the planetarium dome, we're able to show them up on the big screen and really talk about them and show them in this really cool way. Um, and as more images continue to drop from James Webb, because they're not done and they're not going to be done with the telescope for hopefully a couple of decades. Yeah, this is like the beginning history in the making. Exactly. So, so as more images drop, we're just going to get more things to talk about, more images to put on the dome and more things to just continue to be excited about. So one thing that I noticed when I was looking through these images is it's not just like a picture. Like that's not the only data we're getting from this telescope, right? There's also like information on wavelengths and stuff like that. Can you tell me what's going on there? Yeah, so the, the web has a few different cameras on it um, and different technologies. And one of those is that it can create a spectrograph by looking at, at something. So um, one of those five images that was released was actually a spectrograph of um, of the exoplanet WASP 96b. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what we're seeing is what kind of elements um, are are showing up on that on that graph, and we can determine what compounds and elements are that we're seeing on that planet. So of WASP 96b in particular, we were seeing water in the atmosphere. Oh, wait, um, this is a planet. Yes. This is a planet, yes. Wow. Yeah. Yes, if you looked at the images that they dropped, one of them didn't really look like a picture much. It was a graph with this like squiggly yes. line on it. Yeah. And essentially, what they can do is by calculating how much of each wavelength of light they're gathering from this planet, they can determine what types of elements are in its atmosphere. And so by looking at this graph and looking at the different wavelengths of light, they were able to actually say, oh, we know that there's water in the atmosphere of this planet. That's fascinating. We're basically trying to find like the fingerprint of life. Is it, right. is it there? Can we see it? Um, and, and something you kind of have to remember when you look at these images is that the only d type of data we ever get in astronomy is light. It's the only thing we have to work with. When we're looking, when we're dealing with stuff that's so far away, the only thing that is able to get to us is the light from those objects. 
So all of the images you see, all of the graphs you see, all of the data they're collecting with this telescope is light in some form or another. And so the way that they make these images is by compiling the light they're collecting into images and coloring them in a way that we can actually see what's going on. What the telescope's actually collecting, it's not like it's, you know, just taking a picture like you would with a, you know, digital camera or your phone or something like that. Right. It's literally collecting light over hours and hours and hours, compiling it all and layering it all on top of each other to create these images that we see. And so you can get a ton of of really cool different types of images depending on the wavelengths of light you're looking at, how long you expose the telescope for, how long you look at it. You can get very different types of images. And it does do it a lot faster than the Hubble. So it does it like the Hubble took what, like years to get images together and all yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. the Hubble took to get like uh, one of the images that dropped was of the Carina Nebula. Mm -hmm. And I think the Hubble took a picture of that nebula a couple years back and it took about two weeks of exposure time. So the Hubble was pointed directly at that part of the nebula for two weeks wow. nonstop. James Webb took the same image in more detail and clarity in 12 and a half hours. Wow, that's crazy. So definitely next level astronomy. Yeah. So, okay, here's kind of a dumb question. There are no dumb questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> so is... Where is the telescope in outer space? Yes. Oh, okay. So in order we to would like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, so yes, in order to get images uh, of the things we're trying to image, Earth's atmosphere just blocks all of that. We can't get any of the kind of light that we're looking at through the atmosphere. Right. So they launched the telescope into what? It's the Lagrange? It's the Lagrange, Lagrange, Lagrange point. point. Lagrange yes. point. Yeah. Oh. So it's a point just past Earth's orbit where it's orbiting the sun along with the Earth in order to oh. get images from space. That's interesting. Okay, so it's orbiting the sun. Yeah, yeah cuz I was I was a little confused about like I I knew that it was probably in outer space, but I was confused is it orbiting the earth or is it just like going like out to Jupiter? <laughs> yeah, um the Lagrange point is essentially a the point in space where the gravity of the earth and the sun are like balanced, you oh, could say. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so there's five different points, uh, L1 through L5, and so this one is opposite side of the Earth from the Sun, and so it's a really stable orbit for the, tele for the telescope to take really precise uh, looks, peaks at all these galaxies without, you know, any interference from uh, being super stable. It's a super stable, uh, like a metastable orbit. Yeah. Oh, cool. We do the same things with, like, um, there's a there's a satellite um, in orbit right now but it's it's stable between us and the sun so it's looking at earth as the earth rotates and it's not orbiting the earth it's oh, just interesting staying there yeah that's interesting so so with the telescope so this is like quarter of a century in the making you know like people's whole careers are centered around this one telescope so nothing can go wrong you know 10 billion over 10 billion dollars uh gamble like we got to get this one thing right because with yeah. the hubble like, we sent astronauts to service it after the lensing was off by a little bit. So the hub was only, you know, a few hundred feet, uh, a few hundred miles. Sorry, that would be way too close. A few hundred <laughs> miles. A few hundred feet is less than Mount Everest. A few hundred miles, <laughs> few hundred miles above the atmosphere. Uh, but James Webb, you know, we're sending at one million miles away. So we can't send astronauts out there. It would be way too risky. So the precision that went to this was just, like, the most advanced technology that we've seen um, today. Um, Even more advanced than SpaceX? Um, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't know if they uh, had a hand in it. Oh, there was 258 different companies uh, from Canada, European Union, and America that all came together and we put this together. So it took 
decades. Um, lots of collaboration. Yes, yeah, cool. lots of collaboration. Uh, definitely something we need today. I uh, really support that. Um, and so, um, so like the whole everything behind it had to be super careful, like transporting it uh, on the sea as compared to like the air. So the last trip it took, everything, all the parts were sent by plane and by and by road to um, to California. And then they assembled it there. And then from California, they took it around through the Panama Canal to Corral. Um, I believe I'm saying that right. Um, in uh, French Guiana. And and then they, so the reason they had to take it on boat is because it's much more stable than the turbulence mm-hmm. of like an aircraft. So it had to go only, you know, 17 miles per hour on boat. Uh, even slower on land, five miles per hour. Wow. And then when it got to... Um, got to French Guiana it was right launched right there off the off the coast uh, so definitely very stable uh, they had to send like uh, a scientist like when there was like a piece of hair that fell onto it like <laughs> like afterwards and so they had to send a scientist like halfway around the world to like clean it because like this like everything is super careful like um, uh, beryllium it's like it's more stable than steel but it's also more like um, it's more fragile as well is the satellite so, made of beryllium so, yeah, so there's a couple of different elements that go into it. Um, uh, what Hubble was a lot heavier. So Hubble was like 24,000 pounds, um, whereas James Webb was like um, 14,000 pounds, a lot lighter, because it used beryllium on top of gold. Gold acts like the mirror that reflects all the infrared. Oh, is that why all those like hexagonal panels yes. are gold? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's not just like bling, that's a purpose. Yeah, no. so, so gold, gold doesn't reflect visible light very well, but uh-huh. it reflects infrared really well. So that's why we use it. So it has like um, a super thin coat of gold. It's like 20 feet in diameter. And and so it has about the same amount of gold as like a golf size, uh, golf ball size amount, uh, but super thin coat along with brilliant, which keeps it steady uh, with so it doesn't bend or anything. Because something like steel, um, you know, bends more, and beryllium stays really well, stays really stable under hot and cold temperatures. So that, so the different materials that went to it are super important. And then also uh, a super complex engineering problem uh, is they had to design the telescope at the same time they were trying to figure out how they could make the parts fit into the Ariane 5 rocket that launched it. So they had to come up with like this origami style, uh, where the where like the hexagonal tiles had to fold up, uh-huh. there were parts fold up. So everything was like measured and engineered down to the last measurement. It's yeah. one of the greatest engineering achievements, I think. So it's like not century. only does it have to be a really good telescope, it also has to like fold up and fit right. onto this yes. rocket. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's so yeah, I haven't thought about it like that. Yeah. yeah. So design it was like two different designing paths that you had to come together and then reconfigure if something didn't line up so definitely a wild ride but yeah so it's like a huge feat that it's even out there and functional yes Yes. and it had to unfold it took six months to configure itself and you know it had we had some manual um programs that we had to do but um each of the mirrors is programmable so it has to adjust itself then after the micrometeor hit it um when we got news the other day uh, we had to reconfigure itself too so 
Um, Micromedia, does that mean just like space junk? Yeah, so like space junk flying thousands of miles per hour. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was something like, you know, a a meteor the size of a grain of sand that was just flying at thousands of miles an hour that just dented one of the mirrors a little bit. So they just had to, you know, reconfigure it a little bit, readjust to make sure that the images were still going to come out well. And as we can see from the images we got the other day, they're still coming out. Fantastically, yeah. and, and they're still and doing scientists well, so. have accounted for this. I mean, they've they've expected you know just about one you know minor impact um, you know per month. So they definitely accounted for it. So no need to freak out. Um, mm-hmm. Everything's going pretty well as predicted. Yep. Cool. So now I want to talk about you guys a little bit. So maybe just tell us a little bit about like what got you interested in stars and astrology. Astronomy. Astronomy. <laughs> astronomy. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Don't get me started. On astronomy. Yeah, we started out strong. <laughs> tell me what. <laughs> tell me a little bit more about yourself and what got you interested in astronomy, the stars, and uh, I know Ryan's in school right now. Um, not in school right now. But okay. Uh, yeah. Um, in the fall, I'm going to UNC Charlotte for mechanical engineering. So awesome. hopefully, uh, work in the aerospace sector after that. Oh, cool. So that's why you're at the Shield right now is looking for some experience. Yes, and yes. although I have thought about, you know, uh, kind of like maybe being a physicist or like an astronomer in that way, too. Um, but I think this internship's great because it's get, getting me to interact with other majors that are uh, like um, similar to my field. Um, so it's great experience to like kind of on my side, um, like figure out what I want to do and figure out uh, more about astronomy. I never actually have taken uh, astronomy course. Everything I've self-taught myself because um, I wasn't able to. So you know, just reading books um, since you know high school and, and middle school. Really, really, ever since I was young, I've been interested in rockets and space. My dad was a mechanical engineer and he works in aerospace. So I've just always had a passion for it. Just self self-taught and all that. Yeah, and when when are you gonna finish your program? Uh, so. I'm looking to finish on uh, maybe three, three or four years, uh, take a little bit of extra time with engineering. Mm-hmm. So Awesome. Thank well, you. good luck. Thank <laughs> you. Yes, uh, first time doing, like, full-time engineering, so uh, definitely, uh, definitely excited, though. Yeah. And Aubrey? Yeah, yeah so um, I'm a full-time student at Elon University. I'm going into my second year. Um, I just recently declared my major as astrophysics. Congratulations. Um, thank oh, you. Nice. <laughs> thank right. you. So um, I actually went into school undecided, um, but my, my grandpa worked at um, at Grumman. Um, he was an aerospace engineer for Grumman. And the main manufacturer that assembled all the James Webb parts. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and he, he actually helped in the in the lunar landing mission. He was one of the... Okay, you know, I did not hear these stories. I'll yeah. need to yeah. hear these <laughs> <laughs> Why am I only hearing yeah, right. this now? <laughs> so, the, you oh, know, so there were, of course, a lot of key engineers in that mission, but he was working on a lot of the circuitry um, and stuff like that. So, I don't know. My, my brother is a pilot, and I've just been really inspired by by all of the, this aerospace stuff that we have going on in our family, but... Um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I went when I got to school. I knew I wanted to do something scientific. My dad's a doctor, and I don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I just really I took an astronomy class like you did, and um, I, I loved it. I fell in love with it. And my second semester at Elon, my um, my mentor invited to, invited me to be a TA for for astronomy labs, and I was super, super excited because 
I was like, yes, I get to be on the roof and work with the telescopes and teach teach people about astronomy. Um, so I I started doing that, and that's I, I don't know. I was standing up on the rooftop one night, and I was like, this is what I want to do. Like I, I love this. I love talking to people about astronomy. I love helping them understand that it's it's really not as far out of your reach as you think it is. Um, it's something that you can you can learn about and you can photograph it and do participate in citizen science science projects and talk to people about it. It's something that is closer and near to near and dear to us and how we came to be. Um, and it really helps us develop that story. And I think that's, it's just a really incredible field of science. That's fantastic. So. Astronomy is a great major. Th- uh, make sure you like, uh, if you're interested though, like learn as much as you can about math and learn all about that. Yes. Cause I don't, don't do it yeah. Aerospace also is a really good major, um, especially with like, you know, the industry coming together. I think just, you know, space is going more and more accessible every day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any of these space majors, astronomy, astrophysics, aerospace, um, whatever physics, um, is really good looking forward into the future. I mean, you know, um, like a decade ago um, or earlier, we were launching, you know, rockets only like a few rockets uh, a year. And now we're launching, you know, rockets, you know, every week um, wow. with Starlink or, you know, the other companies, Blue Origin or the other startups, um, Rocket Lab. So mm-hmm. definitely a very good major uh, and definitely a really good field to be a part of. It's really good community. We're a little bit biased, but yes, yeah. <laughs> it is a really good major. It's a, it's a yeah. growing field and we need young people to be excited and want to do yes. it because it's it's becoming more prominent and we're getting that much closer to figuring out our origin. And we definitely need uh, a lot more breakthroughs to happen in order to figure out a lot more uh, and solve a lot of these problems about figuring, you know, how to figure out more about these objects and places so far away from us. We definitely need a lot more uh, great minds to help us out. Cool. All right, Jacob, tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm the old one of the group, (laughs) which I always forget because I don't feel like it. But um, (laughs) this fall, I'm going to be a senior at Emory University down in Atlanta studying physics and astronomy and psychology. Um, I have been interested in astronomy for as long as I can remember. I mean, my childhood bedroom is still decorated with plastic glow-up stars that are all over my walls. Classic. I have a picture of the Orion Nebula on my walls. I have, you know, paintings of stars and stuff. It's like all over my bedroom. Um, and we had a, uh, planetarium very close to my house, the, uh, Shepard McAuliffe Discovery Center, I'll just rep a little bit because I used to volunteer there. Um, (laughs) And I cannot count the number of birthdays I had in that planetarium. I mean, I just, from a very young age, always, always, always thought it was super cool. Um, And then once I got into high school and college and really had the opportunity to start taking those kinds of, like, more intense classes and really get into it, I just fell in love with it more and more and wanted to do more of it. Um, Once it got to the point that I had to start doing a lot of math, I wasn't so sure about it (laughs) because math is too much for me. Um, but now I've really kind of fallen in love with the side of it that I get to do at the Shield, the side of it of getting to talk to people and just rant and nerd out about these things that I think are so cool and get other people excited about these things that I think are so cool. You know, a lot of my role models are people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Hank Green, Randall Monroe, these people who have put out materials to make really inaccessible concepts really accessible. Mm-hmm especially because I think that this is kind of a big problem that we have in the scientific community where science can seem so unreachable and so inaccessible to so many people. And it's really not, and it's something that if you just 
look for it. It's so cool. Um, so I've really been loving the last couple of years of just getting to dive deeper and deeper into astronomy, into my love of astronomy, and getting to start to share that with people. I really hope, you know, in the future to be able to work at a planetarium and to continue to do this kind of work because I just think it's so cool and I think it's so much fun. That's fantastic. And here at the Shield, we're you know we're starting out with like the most basic. You know, uh, we're not throwing you know all these hard astronomy concepts at you. But if you ever have any questions or anything, uh, you can always you know ask Harris at the planetarium. We're always open to questions. Um, but you know, we start out with these small stargazing opportunities in the planetarium and these small daily discoveries that help you kind of you know figure out if you want to learn a little bit or if you want to learn a lot. Just helping you be engaged and and all, everything about the night sky and all about it. So if I want to go out and start, you know, I really want to look at the night sky. I don't have a telescope. I don't know what to look for. Like, where do I start? I mean, the, the way I, uh, you know, I do live shows in the planetarium, and the way I always end my live shows is by saying, you don't need anything. You don't need anything to start. All you need to do is go outside, look up at the night sky, and you're doing astronomy. That's how <laughs> all astronomy, I'm not even, like, you know, making fun or anything. Like, that's really the way it is. Every single astronomer that has ever existed started by just going outside and looking up and, and saying, "Oh, those are really pretty dots in the sky." Yeah, um, it is the it is also the earliest science too. Um, that's is what our ancestors have been doing for generations, for millennia. Yeah. So yeah. But if you are interested in kind of getting a little bit deeper into it and you really want to look at stuff, um, the way I always recommend to people is there are a ton of apps and websites online. Stellarium is a really really good one. Um, that will show you constellations and will show you stars and things like that. And you can just go on and you can be like, hey, I really want to be able to find the Big Dipper. Mm. It'll be like, here's the Big Dipper. Here's the direction you have to look. There you go. Um, it's a really, really good way to just start getting involved and just start getting to see, like, you know, what can I see in the night sky? They'll often have, you know, little facts and little blurbs about the different things you can see in the night sky. It's a really good way to just get started if you don't have a telescope and you, you know, aren't going to do, you know, really deep, heavy astronomy it's a good way to just kind of start out and just get yourself, you know, get your feet wet a little bit. Um, places like the Shield Museum are also a really great resource because we, you know, have people at the museum who are a little bit deeper into that and, and you know, can kind of help you get started and help you find the things that you're really passionate about. So, And we'll start, uh, we'll start you out with, like, different landmarks. Uh, we call them, like, asterisks on the different basic patterns, like summer triangle or um, other things like that, basic shapes. Um lead to the other you know more major constellations then we go into the stories and take it from there so. mm -hmm. that's cool i i subscribe to the new york times has like an astronomy calendar yeah. which is pretty cool it like will send me a little calendar notification anytime there's like a meteor shower is coming yeah. if you want to go see it you might see yeah. a shooting star oh they're always great too yeah yeah i definitely have gone out a few times when i've gotten those notifications and it's always worth it yeah, except for when it's cloudy yeah, and that's yeah. a bummer. Clouds are my <laughs> nemesis. Yeah, there's there's an app for everything. Um, <laughs> I have I probably have four astronomy apps, either for looking at constellations or predicting what meteor showers are coming up, how many meteors you can see per hour. Mm -hmm. um, there's some really cool apps out there, like like Jacob was saying. Um, you can it's very accessible and it will definitely help you, like you said, get your feet wet. Yeah, and we always try to stay up to date on space news. So, like, uh, we had an exhibit uh, a month ago. Uh, we were talking about, like, the blood moon coming up. Mm -hmm. So we were telling people, you know, be sure to look out for, like, this happening in the night sky. And so uh, so you can always come to us and ask, you know, what's coming up? You know, what's next? What are, what are the big news coming up? How can we follow along with the SHIEL and the planetarium? 
So uh-huh. the best way to do that is to go on our website, shieldmuseum.org. Uh, on there we have, you know, all of the shows that we're doing for the planetarium, all of the major events that we have. You know, we do big events every a couple of weeks. Um, we've also got all of our handles for our social media on there as well. So if you did want to check out what's happening at the Shield Museum, that's that's the place to do it, shieldmuseum.org. Thank you. All right, before we go, rapid fire, uh, what's your favorite space object? Go, Ryan. Space object. Um, Meteors, fireballs. All right, Aubrey. Quasars are super cool to me. Quasar. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay, Jacob. Can I cheat and say all of them? Oh. To do that? <laughs> no, no, come on. Choose one. Uh, <laughs> I need something to Google. Exoplanets. Exoplanets. Awesome. Okay, you've left us some, with some really fascinating things that I'm definitely going to go look up. <laughs> Please okay. do. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Appreciate it.